If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com slash kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about what does it look like to design a game every single week? How do you do that? What all is involved? Is it crazy? It might be crazy. And we're talking to Wayne Koenig. Wayne, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, man, really excited for you to be here. Now, you're actually the catalyst to these Board Game Design Lab member spotlight episodes. Uh, you sent me an email, I don't know, a few months ago, and you were telling me about this uh, kind of crazy idea you've been doing of basically creating a print-and-play game every week and how that's kind of changed and, and done different things, and you've been able to learn a lot as a game designer. And uh, we were talking about you coming on the show, and I was like, well, I don't know if that's going to make a full episode, but maybe, like, what if I do these mini-episodes, and what if I reach out to a lot of people in the BGDL community and just say, hey, come on, talk about a topic for 25 minutes or so, and, and let's you know kind of see where this goes. It's been a lot of fun. So I really appreciate you giving me the idea uh, about this kind of series way back when. And I'm excited to talk to you about designing games so prolifically and, and like what all goes into that. But before we get into it, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so I started playing games as a kid with my family, with my grandmother, um, we played a lot of, I mean, basically my, my, my grandmother had, you know, she had a, a closet filled with games and every time we'd go over after dinner, it was always go grab a game and we'd play that. Um, at some point I started playing, uh, Magic the Gathering and that I quit pretty quickly because the money sink that it is, uh, didn't really allow me to to keep playing at a competitive uh, stage. And then I think it was not too long after I got introduced to two different games. One was uh, Risk 2210 AD, and the other was Settlers of Catan. Um, from there, I kind of uh, got really deep into hobby gaming, uh, built up a collection had a game night where I'd invite people over to play games. And um, because of the size of my collection, people (laughs) who uh, didn't necessarily play games with me very often, but they'd say, Wayne, you have this incredible love for games. Why don't you design your own? And everything that I had heard was, um, was don't do it. It is just a huge time sink. It's, you know, there's no money in it at all. Um, you know, just, you know, try, try to avoid, uh, designing games, um, because of how much work it is. And I took that advice for a very long time. Um, despite, you know, designing a game here and there, like for a class project and stuff like that. But, um, 
yeah, had this idea for a game probably, when was that? 2000 and 2015 or so was the first time I kind of started. And uh, that game didn't work and is kind of on my shelf. But since then, it's been game design after game design after game design, um, much to the chagrin sometimes of my wife, who, uh, you know, will hear an earful from me occasionally just of, that I've, you know, I've got a new design, um, which I come up with a few different ones every week. Some of them make it to prototypes and some of them don't, but um, I'm now at a point where I very much uh, enjoy uh, designing games, you know, in my free time and just for fun. So, Very cool. And as you mentioned, designing games each week. And so give me kind of a, a big picture about what you've been doing, you know, what kind of started this whole idea of I'm going to design a game every week. And we're not just talking about design here. We're talking about design and creation and putting it out in a print and play version. So it's not just like, oh, I came up with an idea. Like, no, you're going start to finish on a lot of these where, you know, it's going from idea all the way to someone can print it off and actually play the game. And so tell me, like, what was the catalyst for this and how, how it all came to, to happen? Well, I need to start out by just saying um, the design a game a week is a little bit of a cheat. Um, at the beginning, uh, well, okay, so let me, let me take a step back. So um, I had heard a few people talking uh, in the design community about designing a game a week. Um, on a, on a few different podcasts, I think I remember hearing um, like Elizabeth Hargrave talking about how she liked to design. Uh, so she she went through this process of doing it, and then she'd like kind of share you know some of her things with friends. And um, I started by writing a rule book a day. So I would just come up with a, an idea for a game, and then I would be like, okay, well, how could I you know put that into game form. So for about two weeks, I basically wrote a rule book a day where I kind of put in some, you know, components. I wrote like a brief summary, gave like a, you know, a turn structure, and then uh, obviously how you, how you won the game. So I just kind of tried to do that. And most of those designs never did, I never did anything more with them. Um, but then at the start of April, I believe, um, Edo, over at Pencil First Games had a podcast or a, a YouTube video that he did where he kind of told everybody that he was going to do a contest for print and play games. And the goal was to take these games, put them on the internet so that people could play them in the time of the pandemic. They could print them off. And he had this specific caveat that really stuck out to me, which was the game needs to be able to be played with everyday household things. You can't use miniatures. You can't use something that like a normal non-board gaming person, you know, wouldn't have in their house. And uh, that, that kind of stuck with me. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do this. But then I took it a step further and was like, how about for the month of April, I do one game every week, which would be four games, uh, and then I released them on social media for my friends and family to uh, print off and play. And so that's what I did. I designed uh, four games. Um, each one was a little bit different. And we can talk about, you know, how those all went down. But um, I did that for a month. 
and almost killed myself and then decided that I was going to slow down. So then for the rest of 2020, I basically did uh, one game a month um, with a few exceptions. I think I skipped a month here or there, but I was able to get out about seven games um, that people you know, can print and play at their home for free um, just over you know, the course of 2020, which was uh, a lot of fun. Very cool. And now tell me more about these games, because obviously you're not designing Twilight Imperium. You know, these have to be smaller in scope just naturally, unless you are devoting 24 hours a day to these things. So tell me kind of about the scope of the games and and maybe some different things you learned as far as this constraint of, okay, if I'm going to design a game in a week, it can't be too big. And how big is not too big? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. How big is not too big? Um, so anyone who has done a print and play contest in the board game community knows that generally speaking, if you're, if your designs are, are bigger, the amount of people that you're going to get to play your game is usually less. Um, it's just because, I mean, yeah, if, if I look at a print and play and it's, you know, anything over about six pages, I usually really hesitate to print that game out mostly because, designers have a tendency to change what they want to do. And so by the time I print it out and get it ready to, to test, usually they've made, you know, enough changes that I have to reprint out everything. And, and I absolutely hate that. And I don't want that for anybody else. Um, I also kind of discovered that when I told people on social media that I was going to do this, the people that messaged me back and said that they would be interested were not the people that I expected to do it. It was like um, people my parents' age, uh, people my grandparents' age. And I was like, well, I, I really need to make these games super simple. So again, with that design constraint that uh, Edo had put in his uh, contest of only putting in components that normal people, normal non-board gaming people have in their house. Uh, I set out to, to make my first game, which was kind of like a firework themed game where players were kind of moving up these tracks um, of different colors. So it was kind of like a little bit of like a set collection or sort of like a roll and write game. Just it was with uh, tokens instead of actual writing. And uh, you had to roll dice, and then you kind of drafted these dice. So what I quickly realized is I didn't want custom dice for players. So I decided to create a little sheet of paper that had uh, the dice faces from one to six. And the way that I kind of, uh, you know, dealt with this issue of custom dice was I told players, hey, roll five dice, and then just put them on the boxes whatever they match. And then you could match that up with, you know, the icon. So for example, like a one was a blue and then a player could, you know, choose that and then they'd move up their little blue token on this track. That game came together in probably about two days, um, just me and my wife testing it. And uh, you know what? It's not a great game. It really isn't. Uh, Looking back on it, it's, there's a lot of things that I really didn't like. I had some artwork that I reused from another prototype I had made. So that made, uh, that allowed me to kind of do it quickly. But of all the prototypes that I made, that one was the one that definitely looked the most rushed. 
Uh, it had a lot of white space on all the components. It was basically just, you know, the icons um, and uh, super simple. And um, a lot of people enjoyed it, though. Again, the, the audience that I was going for was not the board gaming community. Uh, it was, you know, people my parents' age. But uh, it, it, it worked out nicely for me. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more though, about what you learned as far as like, how big is, is too big? You know what I mean? Like how many of these games did you work on? And you got to the point where you're like, well, I've got to cut this thing in half. Like there's no way I can finish this in a week or in a month or anything like that. Tell me about that process. So my design process tends to be a lot smaller to begin with. Uh, anyways, um, you know, a lot of board gamers talk about, you know, are you a sculptor or are you an artist or like a painter? Um, I definitely tend to be, uh, a painter and that I will, you know, kind of throw something down and then I will slowly add to it as opposed to throwing in, you know, all the components, throwing in everything possible and then trimming. Um, I've just found that for me being a visual person, getting things to the table quickly is, is better. So when it came to this, you know, design process, I want to say, I mean, it was, it was pretty early on. I kind of came up with a rule for myself that the most people were going to have to print out was two pages worth of um, material. And one of my games kind of cheated that. I ended up, uh, it ended up being six because it was a 54 card deck that players needed to print out. But um, I wanted it to be super simple to the point where, yeah, anybody could print it out. And so that meant um, just it, just as far as like, for me as a, you know, a designer, I, I made sure that none of the, none of the stuff that I had had a lot of words on it. Um, I didn't want to have to go in and, and change that. So I kept a lot of like uh, symbols to a lot of, to the game. And then the other thing too, which if you're a designer and you are not using a program like Nandec, there there are other ones out there. Um, I know Component Studio is a big one, and there's a there's a few others. But if you are not using a program like Nandec, you really should be doing so, um, especially if you are designing any kind of a card game. It will, it will save your life. I've made card games before learning how to use Nandec, and I usually spent like an hour to two hours iterating each edition that really could have been trimmed down to about fifteen minutes if I had spent the time, you know, to learn, uh, to to learn Nandec and. Um, by the time I got to the second design in this, you know, week, week long, uh, or one game a week, uh, challenge for myself, um, that saved my life because it was a tile laying game that had a bunch of icons on it. And literally all I had to do was go into an Excel spreadsheet and move the icons around. And then it, it changed every single tile, every single card, uh, in my entire deck so that I didn't have to go in and painstakingly change each individual one. 
Gotcha. Now explain Nandek a little bit more, like someone who's never heard of it. What is it exactly? Where do you find it? All that kind of thing. So uh, Nandek is, to the best of my knowledge, so it's a it's an open source um, it's an open source program that you can just go to nandek.com, uh, which is N-A-N-D-E-C-K.com. Basically, uh, so you take an Excel spreadsheet and you label each of the columns uh, something that you want. Like, I don't know, like uh, the name of the card, the text on the card, uh, maybe the number of the card, or like the version number, for example. You can also uh, do like maybe an icon that you want to have on all of your cards. And then what you do in your Excel spreadsheet is you are going to um, put all of the information for all of your cards uh, in this Excel spreadsheet. And then you're going to load that Excel spreadsheet into Nandek. What Nandek is then going to do, um, and you have to do a little bit of, um, I don't want to say programming because it has uh, some functionality that makes it uh, not programming. But basically what you're doing is you are telling Nandek, hey, um, for this card, I want this image, I want this text, and I want you know this number in the bottom right-hand corner. What it will do is it will take that Excel spreadsheet and it will make a card for every uh, card that you've put into your Excel spreadsheet. And then uh, when you, you can then basically compile it all into one document so that all those cards are all made. They all have the text, the images, any numbers, whatever you've put on them that you can give as a PDF uh, to people to print. Um, you can use it for yourself. You can, um, yeah, you can obviously uh, put it on a Google Drive and share it with people. Um, the Basically, what Nandek does for game designers is rather than, you know, taking all of your cards and uh, needing to go and make changes. To, so, well, here, let me just take a step back. So let's say that I have uh, an icon uh, in the well, let's say I have three icons. So I have like an attack icon, I have a defense icon, and I have, I don't know, an energy icon. And they are all on one side of my card. If I decided that I wanted to move all of those icons to another side of my card, then I need to go in and I need to change each individual card to do that. With Nandek, what you can do is you can make it so that all of your cards will be changed all at one time. So you slide the icons over to the other side of your card, and then you hit compile, and then everything will be um, yeah, laid out for you just with the click of a button. Also, if you need to make some changes to the text at the bottom of a card, like let's say you're trying to make, I don't know, a game kind of like Magic the Gathering or something, and you notice that you know five of your cards have uh, some typos. Well, you go into your Excel spreadsheet, you fix those typos, you go into Nandek, you hit compile, and then boom. Now your entire uh, deck has been fixed, and you don't need to go into each individual of those cards and make all those changes. 
Gotcha. And this seems like something that obviously speeds up your process when you are trying to design a game a week or a game a month, but even just in general, it's going to speed up the process. Uh, you know, there's a bit of a learning curve and understanding how this whole thing works, but I feel like once you learn how to use it effectively, then it's going to save you an incredible amount of time down the road. So it's definitely something people should check out. It's free. And so there's no reason not to at least look into it and see if it uh, could fit your your needs as a designer. And so, all right, tell me what else, what what it's, what else did you notice about trying to design a game a week? And then, you know, you're like, all right, I can't do this. I got to go to a month. Like it's hard to be that consistent on things. You know, life obviously gets in the way, but also it's just hard to be creative all the time and, and, and stick to that schedule. So what were some of the other things you learned during this process? Well, let's see here. So, okay. So first game was the firework game. Then I made a, a tile laying game uh, that was about, uh, walking around a park and taking pictures of different scenery things. I thought that it would be an interesting theme. Um, I had, I already had some artwork, um, which I was able to use. And then uh, I, I obviously I, I made some of my artwork. I think in a lot of ways, if you're going to do this challenge and you're going to want, if you want to make your games look good, it's probably, unless you're an artist, it is good to note that your your artwork is probably going to take the most time. Uh, about somewhere in the process, I kind of realized that I had, because of my short time frame, uh, I would finish a game as far as like all the gameplay was concerned, and I I had to start testing the next game that I was going to release. So what I decided to do is uh, I decided that while I was testing this, you know, the next game, I would be doing the artwork for the previous game. So uh, it was kind of a way to make sure that I was spending all of my time uh, in a way that was adequate. I couldn't invest a huge amount of uh, time for the artwork for whatever game I was playtesting because the game that I had playtested and had deemed that it was ready to, you know, ready, quote, unquote, to print uh, for people because I needed to make that one look good. I could, I, and I needed to spend all of my, you know, art and design, you know, making it look pretty time. Uh, I needed to spend all of that on the previous game. So I would, um, it, it, it made me much better at uh, actually managing my time well when it came to uh, yeah testing games that needed to be tested versus uh, not testing uh, not testing a game that I thought was ready. Um, that was kind of the f- one of the first lessons that I learned. Another lesson that uh, I distinctly remember learning with the third game that I was designing was that normal people don't have sleeves. Uh, I was designing a a card game um, that was for 54 cards, and I kind of accidentally decided, hey, what if I just print all these cards out and we try to play them without sleeving them? Because I I always sleeve my cards for for my prototypes. And it was... I mean, it was an awful experience. Like holding pieces of paper in your hand is not good. 
I mean, it, it, it doesn't feel good. And if, if you want to, yeah, design a game that, um, you know, people who are not board gamers are going to want to play, then, uh, it's, it's worthy of considering that they're not going to do anything to your printable components other than just print them out and cut them out. Um, I found a way around this in that I basically designed, I designed that card game so that none of the players held the cards in their hand. Because if the, if the cards were on the table, I mean, it, it was, it was a pain to pick things up, but, uh, as long as I didn't, you know, as long as people weren't holding the, weren't holding the cards in their hand, um, you know, the, the game was manageable. Um, and so I, I guess if I would to look at that, you know, more broad scope, what I would say is designing games in such a short time frame really makes you think about the end user a lot quicker than if you're designing a much bigger game. Um, people always talk about, you know, thinking who your audience is. And, you know, in this case, I was designing for people that were at home that maybe had a printer, but were not huge board gamers, you know, and so I needed to keep, uh, obviously I needed to keep my, my rules concise, but I also needed to make the components uh, something that were easy to manage by, you know, hands without uh, laminating or printing on cardstock or, or any of those things. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Now, if you were going to go back and do this again, if you're going to take on this challenge again of designing a game a week for a month or longer or whatever, what would you do differently? <laughs> uh, well, one, I would cheat a little bit. And what I mean by that is, uh, so the the idea that I, you know, started out with, which was the just writing a rule book a week or a, a, a day, I would start there. And I think what I would do is I would probably try, well, okay, let me, let me just say something real quick, because this is something that I'm a little bit passionate about. I, I hear a lot of people say, you know, don't worry about writing a rule book. You know, your game is going to change. And I agree, your game is going to change. And you know what, your rule book should not have illustrations. It shouldn't be, you know, super concise. Um, but writing a skeleton rule book is extremely helpful, at least for me, to know where my game is going and at least have a, a general understanding and idea of like what I want to do with the game. And yeah, of course, I change it. Uh, there's certain areas where I say like, you know, in my rule book, I'll put in quotations, add cool powers here. Uh, and I just won't even bother, you know, working working through those. Um, but if if you're not trying to write rule books as a designer, I, I would suggest starting there because it does give you uh, a really good framework um, for what for what you're going to do. So to go back to your question, I think what I would do is I would I would sit down for a month and I would write up uh, I would try to write up a rule book a day. And they could be garbage ideas. It, it, you know, you could say like, oh, well, what if I designed a game about soap, you know, or, or pillow cushions or something? I don't know. Just, you know, write a rule book a day, maybe 20 or 30 minutes each. And then at the end of that month, what I would do is I would go through that list and I would say, okay, of these games 
which would be the quickest for me to design? Like, I don't see there being a lot of cool powers in here. I don't see there being a huge amount of iteration. Which ones would I do? So I, uh, then I would, I would, you know, make a, a small list of, you know, games. And then I would choose probably the, the four games that sounded the most exciting to me. And then I would make, I would make all of those games. Um, I, I don't know. I, I made more work for myself in doing this. Um, I personally, when I set out to do this, I wanted each game to be different than every other game, uh, which, which was very stretching and was, uh, was a lot of fun, but, uh, it's a great way to make more work for yourself. So if you want to make the least amount of work, what I would just try to do is try to design four games that are, you know, all sort of similar, um, but I would like to say that, or I'd like to think anyways, that people who are, you know, listening to this, to listening to this channel, um, or this podcast and are, um, you know, trying to make games that we're, we're all trying to stretch ourselves. Uh, and so, yeah, I would, I would take that, that, that piece of advice, you know, however you want, if you want, if you just want to complete the challenge, I would say that probably the easiest way to do it would be just to make four games that are all kind of similar. But if you want to, you know, do something that's maybe a little bit more interesting and a little bit more stretching, I would, I would, I would do that. Just yeah, very cool. Different. And at the very least, you could design games in the similar theme where you're maybe not spending as much time finding art. Maybe you could use you know similar or the same art over different games to kind of speed up that side of things. Sure. Well, Wayne, this has been excellent, man. Uh, any closing thoughts? You know, any advice, any encouragement for someone who's listening to this thinking, why in the world would somebody want to design a game a week? Like, what would you say to somebody that may be thinking about doing it or maybe thinking about not doing it? What would you say to them? There seems to be kind of two sort of designers, um, obviously a lot of different versions in both camps, but there's kind of the designer that uh, really wants to make a game and uh, sell it to a, a publisher who's going to, you know, make that thing into a really amazing thing. And then there's designers who really are looking at going, you know, the, the route of self-publishing, wanting to take their game to Kickstarter. I am definitely not in the Kickstarter camp. Uh, I, I, I think it's just too much work. But what I would say is that if you are a designer who is looking to self-publish a game, that this challenge is a great way to understand on a very small scale what is required of a game designer slash publisher. Um, I had all of my games. I was doing all of the art. And when I released each game, I think with maybe like one exception, I tried to make sure that all of the artwork was stuff that I had done was not stuff that I had pulled icons off of. Um, obviously, if you're going to do a Kickstarter, then you're going you're gonna to want to get people to make all that stuff for you. But going with the idea of, you know, coming up with the idea, creating the idea, playtesting the idea, then uh, creating, you know, prototypes that you could send to people or that people could print out, and then needing to market that idea and, you know, answer questions, like even in the course of that month, like the amount of, you know, work that I had to do that was more than just game design was so intense 
but it was it was so rewarding as well. I feel like I feel like if I decided to um, you know launch a Kickstarter, which I do not see happening in my uh, future, but if I was to do that, uh, I feel like this process gave me a good understanding of just yeah the amount of work that goes into it. Um, and the other thing too is that uh, because you're designing games so quickly you really can't spend time thinking about, oh man, like, is the game, well, is the game fully balanced? You know, it's, it's just, you know what, the game works. I've played it like five times. Like, I'm just going to make this game. And obviously if you want to make something that's like, you know, meant to be published or whatever, then you want to put a lot more effort into it. Um, but the sheer process of like moving from one game to the next um, was amazing. And I think the other thing too, for me, and I don't know how many other designers feel this way, but I've got so many games of mine that are just sitting on a shelf, you know, that I've given up on. And, you know, it's, it's nice to look at those games and be like, Oh, I learned some lessons and you know what, that game was really fun. I, you know, I hope to come back to that game in the future. But being an unpublished game designer at this point, it is so rewarding to have your game like cherished by somebody like, you know, these small little dinky games that I came up with in a week. You know, I've had people send me messages. Hey, thank you so much for sending me this game. Like it's it's a lot of fun. And um, and so I don't know if you. If you find yourself feeling like you're a little bit burned out from just designing game after game and, and not getting anything published, I think this is a great way to uh, to kind of shortcut that and not need to uh, you know not need to worry about like oh will people buy the game because it's free so there's no real reason for them not to play it other than they don't find it interesting or they don't want to print it out so I don't know that's I would say that. I would say that it's it's just a great experience and and I loved it and I would recommend any designer, you know, to do it at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a great challenge especially for new designers who were just trying to learn the process, right? Even if you don't take on the challenge of I'm going to do four games in a month, even if you only do one game in a week and just take on that, I'm going to design start to finish a game this week. I'm going to take 7 days, I'm going to get it done. I think it's an excellent way just to learn about designing games. Well, Wayne, this has been great, man. Where can people find you online and find your games? Let's see here. So if you want to find me, I'm on Board Game Geek. My username is Orwell, which is O-R-W-E-1-1. And then I'm the same on uh, Instagram. Um, you might also be able to you know, search my name as it's going to probably be listed on the podcast. Uh, and then if you want to download... Uh, any of the games that I've made, um, which I have to, I, I'll go ahead and warn you, most of them are pretty light and pretty simple. But if you would like to try them, um, I have a link to all of my games on my Instagram. Uh, you can basically go into the Google Drive where I have all the games and you can download and and print them right from there. So, Awesome. Wayne, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with designing more games, even if it's not one a week, but uh, good luck with that and everything else you got going on right now. Thank you so much, Gabe. Thanks for listening. 
Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?